there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. When the work finds us, we are out of balance, we're out of harmony, and we are ignorant of what, how, and why. We are ignorant of why we're out of balance, we're ignorant of how we're out of balance, and we're ignorant of how to get any kind of harmony in ourselves, and mostly because we're ignorant of ourselves. And so the ancient esoteric admonition, man, know thyself. But how can you possibly know your creator until you know yourself? You can't. You have to discover something about yourself to find the nature of your creator. The big problem is, is when we start to discover things about ourselves, we identify with those things, we become very negative, and we think our creator is Satan. <laughs> I mean, we do. We think, oh my God, I'm no good, I'm bad, I'm a horrible person. And so we stuff that all away, because we don't want that in the light of consciousness. We don't want to see that, we don't want other people to see that. We don't want to be children of Satan. We want to be children of something wonderful, but we find that we're not wonderful. You read the thing in esoteric literature, a uh, good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit, but a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit and a bad tree doesn't bear good fruit and a, a well spring doesn't put salty water and fresh water, blah, 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 blah. So by your fruits you shall know them, so be whatever you are. But the problem with us is, is we are out of balance. We are out of harmony. We are mixed. We are confused. We have both these things coming out. So we are basically like a tree that is bearing both good fruit and bad fruit. We're basically like a well that puts out both fresh water and salt water. So that's our condition. Now it says, don't do that. Well, we are doing that. And what that really means is you have a goal. You have a purpose. You have a meaning in life. And your meaning is to reach the place, to develop to the point where you no longer bear bad fruit, where you no longer put out bad water, where everything that comes out of you is unified and pure. But we are far from that now. And we don't understand why. And we don't understand how we can do anything about that. So sadly, the work has no power to change any of that if we're not willing to let it into our internal world in the most threatening ways. See, this is the problem with the work. Everyone is happy to read the books. Everyone is happy to go to groups and jabber about it. Everyone is happy to do little dance exercises and do this and do that. That's all fine. It's like a yoga class or a dance class. Oh, look, let's do work ballroom dancing. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, I guess so. But the bottom line is, are you working on awakening? not expressing negative emotions, observing yourself as an interesting stranger, not condemning, not judging, not identifying with yourself. Are you doing that? And the answer to that is, oh yes, of course I'm doing that. And the answer to that is, no, you're not doing that. You're not doing it nearly enough. I don't care how much you're doing it, you're not doing it nearly enough. How do I know that? Look at your life. How do you know that? Look at your life. Your life tells you that. Your negative emotions tell you that. The state that you find yourself in most of your supposedly waking time tells you that. How easily you fly off the handle tells you that. How out of control your thoughts are tells you that. How out of control your body is tells you that. Look at your body eats when you don't need to eat. Do you think that's your body doing that or your sick, twisted psychology that's using your body? 
See, I think it's your sick, twisted psychology. That's what I think. I think that somehow you're out of balance. You're out of harmony. And so your body is being stuffed and growing all this fat that you don't need. So look at it. You can't tell me that you're in control. You're not in control. And if you're not in control in one area, guess what? You're not in control in two areas. Guess what? If you're not in control in two areas, you're not in control in three areas. My guess is that your area of control is so minimal that that's why our consciousness is like a narrow little beam of light. Because we don't want to see where we're out of control. All we want to see is where we are in control. And since that's such a small, tiny area, we have to have an itty-bitty frame to put over that area so that we can say, there it is, that's me, and hang that on the wall. That's the picture we hang on the wall of us being in control. Not. We're not that way. But we do that. We must become willing to obey the work. This work is very threatening. Well, what is it threatening? You, your entire existence, your entire life, who you think you are. It is threatening who you think you are. It's threatening to make who you think you are, who I think I am, if it'll make you any happier, who we think we are. Because I know it'll make you happier. Even if it's just momentarily. Because I can see the faint smile on your face. Oh yes, he said we. He's not better than us. No, I'm not better than you. I'm worse than you. We've got to become willing to obey the work. This is a very difficult thing to do because in order to obey the work, we have to give up obeying what we now obey. What do you now obey? You obey your negative emotions. Did you say life? Yes, you obey life. How do you obey life? You react to every event in life. That's how you obey life. You react to every event. Because life is a series of events passing by you. And you react to those events. It doesn't matter how you react. That has nothing to do with it. The fact that you react is all that life wants. Life only wants for you to react to it. And you do. So you are obeying life. What else do you obey? You obey your mind. Your mind tells you what to do. Your mind tells you what to fear. Your mind tells you who to like, who not to like. Your mind tells you what to eat, what not to eat. You have no control over your mind. You haven't programmed your mind. You haven't studied your mind and learned how to make your mind serve you. You serve your mind. It tells you what to do and you do it, even to your own harm. And what does that mean, even to your own harm? Well, you harm yourself every day, don't you? By the food you eat, by the stuff you drink, you are harming yourself all the time. And your mind is making you do that by saying, I like this, I like that. I want this, I want that. And you are powerless to stop it. You think that because it said that, you have to do that. <laughs> it's really crazy when you think about it. But it's not so crazy when you think about it from inside your mind. It makes perfect sense from inside your mind. It's like, well, of course, that's me. That's what I want to do. That's what I... Yeah, right. Okay. The false personality will only acquiesce to this if it thinks it can retain ultimate control. The only time the false personality is ever going to acquiesce or agree with this work, to obey this work, is when it thinks it can do that to maintain control. So it's kind of like a feint, a fake out in one direction. You know, like basketball players or football players, they'll fake like they're going in one direction, then they'll quick run in the other direction. And that's what the false personality does. It's just a quick feint. It fakes going in one direction so that it can get around this by going in another direction, get you off balance. Well, we're still already off balance, so what's the point? You know, the false personality doesn't have to do much maneuvering to keep us off balance. We keep ourselves off balance all the time, and we don't really know how to correct it. And so the work comes along and says, look, I can help you correct this but you're going to have to do what I tell you to do. Well, I can't trust you. I don't know you. I've never heard of the conscious circle of humanity. Who are these people? Oh, these are fairy tales. These people, this can't be done. Blah, blah, blah. And so people without magnetic center can't even hear it. They're just washed away. They're just washed away in the stream of events that life is. A big tsunami takes them right out. They're gone. Events just sweep them right away. They haven't got a chance. They can't hear a word of this. They couldn't even find this podcast with both hands and somebody pointing their computer to it. 
There's no way. They couldn't do it. And if they could find it, they couldn't listen to it. They would listen to five minutes and go, this is rubbish, and turn it off and run screaming in the opposite direction like their hair was on fire as fast as possible. And that's the way some people are. And some people are not like that. Some people find it. How do they find it? I have no idea how they find it. It's really weird how people find it. And then all of a sudden, they're on it and they're working. Well, maybe they're not working to your specifications. Maybe they're not working like you're working. Maybe they're just taking little baby steps and they're not as advanced and wonderful and healthy and happy and strong as you are. But they're still trying. And really, that's all that this work requires is effort, right effort. It doesn't say how much right effort. It just says try and make a little bit of right effort with a little thing today, right now. Try to awaken a little bit right now. It doesn't say you have to reach this level. You have to turn this impression into this. You have to do that. It doesn't say any of those things. We make those things up. But the work doesn't say that. The work is a good teacher. It's a very kind, generous, loving, good teacher. And it's easy to obey. The hard part about obedience is curbing the false personality, which doesn't want to obey anything except itself because it thinks it's God. The false personality will stuff the work into its belief system, calling it its own and effectively destroy its efficacy. The work can be made null and void in you, not outside of you, but in you. It can be neutralized. Outside of you, it can't be touched because it is eternal. Well, how I know it's eternal is because it comes from an eternal source. All esoteric teachings come from the infinite. All of them do. That's what we call sea influence. It comes from above us, beyond us. And we make it be influence by writing it in books and by talking about it and all these other things that we do. And then the world makes it a influence by earning money with it, by turning it into, well, let's build a big group. Well, let's build a big church. Well, let's do this and let's do that. And it all turns into this dead, stinking, rotting mass of nothing, this skeleton. And the only time it's ever going to smell good again is when all the flesh is finally rotted off it and the bones are all that's left. And then the bones will be shining in the sunlight and we can call it cathedrals or we could call it whatever. But until then, it stinks because it's still in the process of rotting. It's still in the process of decay because the spirit that gave it life has left it. And then what happens is people take its arms and legs and move it around. You know, it's like a corpse. You don't want people to know that this person has died. So you sit there with the corpse and you move its arms and you move its legs and you move its head so that people can think, oh, look, it's, it's, it's still alive. He's moving. You've seen things like this. So it's like that. That's what really what exoteric religion is. The spirit has left it. And what's left is this rotting corpse. And you have priests and people who are moving it to make other people think that it's still alive. But it's not still alive. That doesn't mean that there's no life going on in it. Of course there is. What is the process of decay if it's not life? It's bacteria eating the dead flesh. That's what it is. It's life feeding on that dead carcass. So yes, there's life in it and life can come out of it, but it doesn't mean it's alive. So that was probably a little too graphic, but sorry, that's how I see things. I got to tell you how I see things. I can't really tell you how I think I should see things. and I can't really dress it up so that it's nicer or better. It's what it is. And graphic examples work sometimes. Where will false personality keep the work while it's acquiescing to it, trying to retain ultimate control? It'll keep it in the intellectual center. This is where the imbalance is maintained. Our emotional and physical centers will not be allowed to play. They won't be allowed to play in this game. They're going to be out of balance all by themselves. Why? Why are the emotional and the moving instinctive centers going to be out of balance? The physical center is going to be out of balance. Well, because the intellectual center is gone. You take anything that needs three to balance, and you take one out of that. It's not balanced anymore. 
You take a tripod and you remove one of the legs, it will fall over. Why will it fall over? Because it cannot balance anymore. That's all it takes. All you have to do is just remove one. First of all, the emotional center was the one that was, had been removed. It was the one that became faulty. And then the intellectual center is the only one that we can use to try and cleanse that and get it back in balance. But unfortunately, the intellectual center went out of balance as well. Well, naturally, if you look at people on this earth walking around, or I should say waddling around in America, you will see that they're out of balance too. They're way too fat. Why is that? Because their intellectual center is out of balance, their emotional center is out of balance, and their physical center has to follow. They have to be out of balance. There's no other way to get around it. So if you see a rotund person who is going on about how balanced they are, just be kind. <laughs> That's all I can say. Just be kind. That's the best thing you can do. Be kind, try and externally consider, and remember that imagination satisfies every center. Now, our emotional and physical centers are not allowed to play, meaning they're out of balance as well. We may observe that we can think one thing, feel another, and do a third. Ever been able to observe that about yourself? That's not in balance. All those things need to be agreeing. You need to be thinking, feeling, and doing all the same thing. Well, we're not. And what do we do? We raise that up as a goal. Oh, that's multitasking. <laughs> no, it's really not. It's really not at all. It's being incredibly inefficient. It's having our force scattered in three different directions at the same time instead of directing it where it should be directed. But because this is our ordinary state, we can't even imagine any other state. Why would I want to have my thinking, feeling, and physical centers all in balance so that they were all doing the same thing at the same time? Why? Well, gee, I just don't know. Well, then I couldn't do this, and I couldn't watch television and eat. Right. You couldn't watch television and eat at the same time. You would have to do one or the other. Well, that seems like a tremendous deficit, doesn't it? No more multitasking. No more multiplicity. No more many eyes. I would have to be one with one will, able to do what I said I was going to do? Forget that. That doesn't sound like much fun. How boring. You know, with all these different eyes, I've got lots of company and lots of wonderful, exciting dramas to live out. And, oh, what a great story this is. And, oh, look at how many things I can do all at once. You're starting to see how we're hooked into this? Until we understand this fundamental contradiction belongs to our composition, we'll remain confused and helpless. So the problem with us is we don't think we're confused and helpless. We think we got it together. We think we know. We think we're headed in the right direction. But the truth is, is if you look at the standard that this work holds up, you see that we are, in comparison, confused and helpless. That's why we don't look at the standard very often. We're not one person, but many different eyes inhabiting different centers. Intellectual, emotional, moving, and instinctive centers are teeming with different eyes teeming with different eyes. And where are we? Well, we're to the point where we realize every once in a while that we have many eyes in us. Well, we haven't gotten to the point where we're ready to realize that some of those eyes are the intellectual center, some of those eyes are in the emotional center, some of those eyes are in the physical center. We haven't gotten to the point where we're willing to start to categorize them and classify them there. I never hear any of you say, well, an eye in my intellectual center, blah, 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 blah. Well, an eye in my emotional center, blah, 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 blah. Well, an eye in my moving center, blah, 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 blah. I hear you say, well, some eye in me, some eye in me thinks this, some eye in me says that, some eye in me makes me do this. Does this sound familiar? Good. I'd like to be on the same page here. <laughs> some of these eyes are extremely dangerous to us if we allow them to gain control. Some have the power to kill us. How do we know that? Well, people commit suicide. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's how we know that. People commit suicide. They commit suicide deliberately, and they commit suicide unconsciously. There's a very strong case for everyone here is committing suicide unconsciously right now, just by our eating habits, just by our living habits, just by our thinking habits, just by our feeling habits. Negative emotions are deadly. They will kill you. They will kill you. They make you sick. If you do not know that your negative emotions make you sick, well, you need to observe. You just need to observe yourself. I know I always come back to the same thing over and over again. Well, prove it, prove it. Oh, I say, well, if you really want proof, observe yourself. Observe yourself the way the work tells you to observe yourself, and you will have your proof. It's like they're fixed on a merry-go-round that brings them up as it turns internally. So it's like we have this carousel inside of us, this merry-go-round, this carousel inside of us. And there's these little horses and, and swans and ducks and whatever they have on carousels, you know. And they come around, and they're fixed on the carousel. But the carousel is turning, and this is all internal now. And as it turns, these horses and swans and ducks and geese and all these other things that come up, come up. And each one of those is like an eye, and it comes up, and then it's there. And then another one comes up, and it's there. And then another completely different one comes up, and it's there. So first you have a horse, and then you have a goose. You know, what's that about? They're not even close to the same thing. But that's how it is for us, isn't it? So one minute you're feeling this way and doing this, and the next minute you're in a totally different state. Like, where did that come from? How did that relate? How did you get to that state? Well, this is how. This carousel turns inside of you, and up comes this new eye. Like I said, it's like they're fixed on a merry-go-round that brings them up. And we don't have any choice in that. If we haven't learned to observe and separate from them, they can really make us sick. They really can. They can make us crazy, as you already know. They can make us incredibly violent, as you already know, because you drive the freeways. And look at how violent you get driving the freeways. The things you say, the gestures that you make, the things that you do. You speed up or you slow down or you brake or you move over here or you move over there. And you know why you're doing it. Don't bother lying to me. Don't even bother lying to me. You know why you do it a majority of the time. You do it to keep your ego in front. You do it to keep your superior position. You do it to put somebody else in their place. And if you say you don't, then I say observe yourself. That's all. I won't tell you anything else. Just observe yourself. These eyes usually live in the negative part of the emotional center. The bad news is we don't know that. The good news is we don't have to identify with them. We don't know where these eyes live. We don't know where they're coming from. That's the bad news. We should know where they live and where they're coming from. We should have their address. We should have their description. We should know them. Just like a police officer knows the 10 most wanted. Just like they know what the guy they're looking for looks like. Because they have a picture and they look at the mugshot and they go, okay, this is the guy we're looking for. We should be like that. But we're not. We're not. So that's the bad news. The good news is we don't have to identify with any of them. Well, once we learn how to not identify. Right now, you have to identify with almost everything because you have to learn not to identify. We don't have to express their unpleasant venom to ourselves or to others if we can learn to observe and separate. You do see that you have eyes in you that are venomous and unpleasant toward other people, toward all people, even toward yourself. Okay, you do see that. You don't have to allow them to express if you can learn to observe and separate. This is really what this work teaches. This is really what this is about. This is why we're here this morning. This is why we're here, so that we can learn how to do this. The only way to learn how to do this is by doing it, not by listening to me talk about it. We must learn to be strong, more conscious, and more intelligent about our internal world if we hope to wrest ourselves free from these eyes spinning on this carousel inside of us, coming up one after another, one after another. 
We take ourselves as one uniform person, but through self-observation we begin to see that this is a fiction, and this fiction in the work is called imaginary I. This one unified person that you take yourself to be is an imaginary I. It is not real. It is imaginary. You are not one person. Your false personality is being covered. It's the drape. It's the cover. It's the... Okay, let's look at it this way. Do you ever see these Chinese New Year things where they had the dragon and there are all these people in the dragon moving it, but it's really the whole... All those people, the whole line of people, the maybe like 40 or 50 people or maybe 100 people, and they're all covered by this long dragon? That's what we're like. The imaginary eye is like the covering over the false personality, all these different eyes. An imaginary eye is what makes it look like one. You get it? So when you think about false personality, you're thinking about this multiplicity, this fragmented personality that's just insane, crazy, all these different eyes. This carousel with all these different horses and things on it that are constantly, it's constantly turning and this is coming up and that's coming up. And we only see one at a time or maybe two. We see one passing, the other one coming, and maybe we're aware somewhat of the state we're in. Maybe. But imaginary eye is this great blanket, this great cover that's thrown over all of it so that it makes it look like all just one thing moving. And it's not that at all. It's just imaginary. It's just this covering. It's just outside coating. First, we must divide ourselves up into three centers, then into varying eyes, or we can't do the work. So right now, we are at the stage where we can divide ourselves into two. We are one. As it is now, we are one. We think we are one. This work comes along and it says, you must first become two. So we then separate. We take something inside of us we call something that wants to work, something we'll call observing eye for the moment. And that then separates from whatever it is it's looking at. It looks at it. It observes it. And to the degree that you can not identify with that, not judge that, to the degree that you can just passively observe that as if you were looking at an interesting stranger, to that degree, you shed light on that and you weaken it. That's all. You weaken it. And something, the observing eye, then takes its force and it becomes stronger so that the next time it's a little bit stronger and it can weaken something else. And this is a long, tedious process for many of us, but it is a process that we can do if we're willing to work. So the work says divide yourself up into three centers and then to varying eyes in those centers. If you don't do that, you're not going to be able to do this work. So there's another step. There's always another step. There's always another octave. There's always another step. We're not finished yet. We need to be now dividing ourselves up into three. Three centers. Vanity is always working to keep us in the sense that we're always one. Vanity wants us to stay in this feeling that we're always one, that this imaginary I is real. So vanity keeps us there. So we think we're one and the same person with only slight variations in moods from time to time. And those variations in moods, of course, are dependent upon other people. They made us feel that way. It wasn't us. It wasn't anything in us. It was them. They made us do that. A great step we take toward transformation is realizing through self-observation that we're not one, but we're many. This is the foundation of a new line of development in ourselves. So once we really get this, once we really get, you know, I'm not one, I'm many. There's a multitude in here. Then we have a foundation upon which we can build. Look how we blame ourselves for not saying the right thing, not doing the right thing. Not seeing it was different eyes using us all the time. That's not what goes on in you. You blame yourself. You chastise yourself. How I know that is you blame other people and chastise other people. Well, if you weren't blaming other people and chastising other people, I would know that you weren't doing that to yourself. But as long as you are doing that to other people, I know you're doing it to yourself. I know that there are judgmental eyes that are allowed to run wild. How do I know that? It's coming out your mouth. It's all over your face when you look at someone, when you roll your eyes, when you look at someone and shake your head and roll your eyes, or when you look at someone disdainfully. It's obvious that these eyes are running you. It's obvious. 
to everyone except you. Why? Well, because you can't see it, because it's all covered up with this sheet of imaginary eye, with this big dragon of imaginary eye that makes it all look like it's just one. No, I'm not doing that. No, that's not me. No, I'm not doing that. <coughs> You're mistaken. When we identify with different eyes coming round on the carousel, we must justify ourselves to keep the fiction of being one. So, now we're identified with this eye. We're angry. So, what do we do? We're angry. Well, I justify it. Well, you made me angry. Anyone would be angry. Don't you agree? Tammy, don't you agree that anyone would be angry if somebody did that to them? Yeah. Curtis, you agree? Any reasonable person would be angry. Except that we're not reasonable people. There's nothing reasonable about us. Nothing. But we could become reasonable people. But we're not run by reason now. We are not reasonable because reason is not what runs us. Insanity is what runs us. Life is what runs us. Events are what run us. Unconsciousness is what runs us. Negative emotions is what runs us. Jealousy, fear, hatred, all those things run us. Violence runs us. Reason does not run us. We are not reasonable people. But we could become reasonable people if we could work, we could become reasonable people. If we could work, we could put away this mechanical side of us, this negative side of us, this tiny side of us, this fragmented side of us. We could unify that, bring that together, and have everything in its proper place. Everything in you has a proper place. It's just that somebody took it off the shelf, threw it all in a big box, and shook it. And now you've got to sort it out. It's like one of those thousand-piece puzzles. You put it in the box, you shake it up, and now you spread it out on the table, and now it's a matter of putting it all back together because every piece has a right place. And that takes effort, and that's what this work is about. This work is about getting the pieces in the right places. Identification justification solves the problem of contradictions. Have you ever noticed that? You have a contradiction in you. I'm a peaceful, loving, generous person. And all of a sudden, you're a raving maniac, murderer, willing to rip someone's lungs out through their nostrils. What happened? Well, we have justifications. We have identification. You're identified with that raving maniac. Now you have to justify that raving maniac. And that solves the problem of the contradiction. Now there's no more contradiction. It's all finished. No contradiction. So now you, when you're done being a raving maniac, you can go back to being the peaceful, generous, wonderful person that you actually are all the time. Now that this other person isn't making you do this, or this other event isn't making you do this. And what justification and identification doesn't handle, buffers handle very well. So we grow buffers. If we can't explain it away, we stop seeing it. It's no longer there. Identification, justification, that's what makes us explain it away. Why are you angry? You explain it away. You don't say, I'm angry because I'm asleep. I'm angry because I love negative emotions. I'm angry because I'm not in control with myself. You say, I'm angry because this is the only right response to this event. And you justify it because you're identified with it. And when you can't do that, you just ignore it and make it go away. You stop seeing it. You put it in the closet where no one can see it. Well, where you can't see it. We observed we opened our mouth and said what we shouldn't have said. But have we observed the I that talks out of turn is not I? Have we observed that? Oh, no. We observe that we opened our mouths and said what we shouldn't say. And then what do we do? We chastise ourselves for that, don't we? But we don't observe that the I that talked out of turn is not I. Because if we did, we wouldn't be chastising ourselves. Can you see that? Have we separated from it? So observing it is not enough, is it? I observed that I'm not a good person. Oh, that's wonderful. So now you can go home and eat. Now you can go home and be a, a not good fat person, right? So that's genius. Or now you can go to the bar and you can drink. So now you can be a not good drunk person. That's brilliant. So now, now you pour gasoline on yourself and then you light a match. What a great idea. That's really incredible that we do that. And we do. We do that. 
And that's exactly what it is. Don't think that it's anything else. That is exactly what it is. When you chastise yourself because you have observed something in yourself that is unacceptable, when you chastise yourself, it means that you have not separated from it. If you've separated from it, you don't have to chastise yourself for it. You know it's not I. If we don't see it as an I that takes control at certain times and blabs, we'll have to justify it. Why will we have to justify it? Well, we'll have to justify it so that we can keep the cover of imaginary I over it. That's why. You remember the Wizard of Oz? They get at the end and they all go, they find the wizard and there's this little guy, little circus clown guy, carnival guy behind this curtain and he's, you know, operating all this machinery and speaking in this microphone and there's all this smoke and fire and this big image of a big head up there. I am the great and powerful Oz. He's telling these people to go away and everything and the little dog goes over and pulls the curtain away. Toto goes over and pulls the curtain away and he goes, oh, this guy turns into this little blithering, oh, 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 little eye. All he is, just a little eye, using all this machinery. Oh, I am the great and powerful Oz. But he's not at all. He's just some little negative eye. <laughs> I don't know what to do here. Oh, what should I do? Oh, and the little dog pulls the curtain away. And see, and that's what all this is about. The work is like a little dog, and it just pulls the curtain away. And then you get to see, you get a glimpse of what you really are, what's really operating, what's really behind all this. But if we justify it then, we don't have to really observe it. We don't have to deal with it because we keep this front of imaginary eye, the curtain covering it, being always one and the same person. I am the great and powerful Oz. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But it's the man behind the curtain who's making all this smoke and noise and flame and everything. And that's all this is. And when we start to see that for what it is and stop identifying with it, it loses its power. Once those people saw that, they were no longer afraid, were they? They no longer trembled in fear. Oh, they just went, you silly little man. Wasn't that pretty much how it went? Real eye really does exist. But you're not going to find it as long as you take all these other eyes as yourself. As long as you're chastising yourself for the blabbing eye, for the eating eye, for the hateful eye, for the lustful eye, for the vengeful eye, for the jealous eye. As long as you're calling all of that yourself and you're chastising yourself for that, you're never going to find real eye. Can you see that? You'll never find it because you're calling all these other things yourself. And you're not going to separate from them. The hardest thing for us to realize is all these eyes we call I were acquired through imitation. We just can't get this through our heads. All these things we're calling I were all acquired through imitating someone else in life. And you think of the insane things that you've imitated. Think of all of the movie lines that are in your head now. Think of how you can repeat them. It's terrifying. You're actually building more little eyes inside of yourself. You're spawning more little eyes by doing that. Can you see that? You're actually spawning more. It's not finished yet. You're still making more all the time. What the work says is stop it. Stop it and turn it in the other direction. Not only do you have to stop it, you've got to turn it in the other direction. You've got to start to diminish them. You've got to stop making new little eyes, new little personalities, and start diminishing it, move away from it. None of them belong to who we really are. This is why the work teaches separation from negative eyes. They're not you. That's why you need to separate from them. They're not you. They came from reading, they came from books, they came from magazines, they came from TVs, movies, they came from imitating other people, they came from your first education in school and in life, and your imagination of yourself. You took all this stuff and then mixed it all together and mixed it with your imagination of yourself and made even more. The imagination is like a cookie cutter. Gingerbread man cookie cutter. You ever see these gingerbread man cookie cutters? Imagination is like that. Life is giving you all this material. And you're out there happily going, doo, 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 punching out new little gingerbread men to call I. 
And what did they turn out to be? Well, whatever. Are they gingerbread? No, not at all. It's whatever life gave you. And life doesn't give you much gingerbread, does it, when you think about it? <laughs> this spawns eyes like maggots spawns flies. None of them are you. When you get into a rage or you sink down into self-pity, into any negative state, you must create this feeling in yourself and this power of saying, that is not I. Do you see that that is an actual feeling you can create in yourself? It's a feeling of separation. That is not I. You actually feel yourself in a different place than in that I. You actually create the feeling of I outside of that negative I. And there is power in that. There's a huge power in that. If you can't realize and acknowledge this self-pity that you're in, this rage that you're in, this jealousy that you're in, this depression that you're in, or any other negative state, no matter what it is, this fear that you're in, if you can't realize that that's not you, how are you ever going to find what is you? As long as you think you have you, as long as you think you know you, you will stop looking for you. That's not you. This is the first thing we have to learn and continue to do with the work. So this whole thing, that is not I, this is not denial. It's informed self-observation based on esoteric teachings given to us from those who have already awakened. You must apply it personally rather than study it theoretically. What we have done, mostly, is study it theoretically. If you don't know that about yourself, get back to the drawing board of self-observation. What you have done with most of it is you've studied it theoretically. 99% of all of it has been theoretical. Some of it has been practical application. The level that we're at is dyed by multiplicity. It's like you take wool or silk and you dye it some color and it holds fast that color. And we are dyed multiple. The character of us, the color of us is multiplicity, not unity. We have many eyes in us which are not us, leaving us with no unity, leaving us with no integrity. The only way to create unity in ourselves is by separating from these eyes, not by denying their existence and their power. We've tried that, and it hasn't worked. Denying their existence and denying their power only pushes them to the unconscious side of ourselves, to the dark side of ourselves. That doesn't work. That's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to bring them all into the light. But the only way to bring those nasty, disgusting little things into the light is if you stop judging them and you stop calling them I. Stop identifying with them. That's the only way you'll ever be able to bring them into the light. They will not come into the light, and you will not bring them into the light if you think they're you, and you're judging them as harsh and bad and wrong. You just won't do it. This work is not designed as a different form of denial. It's designed to extricate us from the mire of sleep and imagination, as well as the carousel of negative emotions that's turning inside of us. Depression, hopelessness, feeling you're no good and can't make it, all of these things are in the same family of negative emotions, like horses on the carousel. So there's a horse family, there's a bird family, there's a swan family, there's a duck family, there's a goose family, there's this family, there's, there's a, what are those other things, seahorse family. You know, all these things are on the carousel. And yes, you can see them in families, you can see them in centers. Start to see them that way. They are eyes that wish to take you for a ride in circles again and again and again, sapping your force. That's what the carousel is all about. It's just like a water wheel at a mill where it picks up some water as it turns. And then when it comes up, it pours it onto something else. It's just taking it out of there and putting it over here. And that's what this carousel inside of us is doing all the time. There are negative eyes in us creating our own living hell, as well as eyes that wish to work and reach higher toward heaven. Heaven being an expanding state of consciousness. That state of expanding awareness called heaven will lead us to meet real I, or master. The other side won't. The other side leads in the other direction. It will not take us to meet real I. Maurice Nicole said, People are eaten by negative emotions all day long, whether by themselves or in company of other people.
Remember this. Every time you give in to negative emotions, you are being eaten. You are being devoured alive every time. And you make it easier for them to eat you next time. If you can get from this work the map to heaven and manage your inner world properly, you can reach heaven right here today, right now where you are. You don't have to wait 10 years or 5 years or wait until you're dead. You can do it now. Try to remember yourself. Try to transcend negative emotions. Every act of non-identification saves force and insulates you from the effects of life. You can work where you are, as you are. Do it. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application, in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.